You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. The Emperor has been expecting you. I know, Father. So, you have accepted the truth. I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me. It is the name of your true self you've only forgotten. I know there is good in you. The Emperor hasn't driven it from you fully. That was why you couldn't destroy me. That's why you won't bring me to your emperor now. I see you have constructed a new lightsaber. Your skills are complete. Indeed you are powerful as the emperor has foreseen. Come with me. Obi-Wan once thought as you do. You don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am your host, Matthew Rushing, and I, I've got to say, you know, it's getting so festive in here. Ruby has the eggnog flowing, the adult beverages just it, it's like it's like flowing like wine in here strangely enough anyway she's got the christmas tree up it's got all the great ornaments on it i'm so excited uh hopefully we can turn on the carols and we are going to wrap up the star wars film retrospective this week and i think everybody knows what that means it means i got a few ugly Ewoks with me tonight. Huh. Bruce, so, welcome back to the 602 Club. And can you brush your butt off? You've got leaves on it. Yep, yeah, nope. <laughs> Cut those leaves off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the leaves. Uh, that, that's my Ewok speaking English. <laughs> oh Which is God. straight out of Battle for Endor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel like I was in Shattered Empire right there. It was fantastic. Um, Wow. Uh, by the way, uh, how is barbecued stormtrooper? Mm, yub nub. <laughs> That's where nom nom came from. Yes. <laughs> nom, nom. <laughs> oh man! And John, it's great to have you back here. Of course it is. Six oh two. It's always great to have me here. <laughs> Come on. Of course it is. I saw that Ruby uh, served you up some, uh, you know, eggnog. The Tennessee so. kind. The Tennessee there you kind. Go. Of eggnog. That's. I can't stand eggnog, but I'm glad that she's wrong supplying with, it for what you. What is wrong with you? I don't know. I'm a weirdo. Eggnog is a what can marvelous I say? thing. I, I'm i just a weirdo. Mm. I mean, everybody knows this. You've listened to the show long enough. That's you know true. Crazy. We do have a mountain of evidence. <laughs> yeah. I've got... This is episode 59, 
but we've done well over 60 episodes with all the supplementals. Uh, I think we're past 70 now with all that. So everybody knows I'm ridiculous. So, yeah, uh, it's... That's uh, how we I'm, love you, I'm, Matt. I'm, yeah, well, thank you. Well, before we do jump into Return of the Jedi, formerly known as Revenge of the Jedi and Blue Harvest... I want to remind everybody that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find all of our shows at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're a feature provider there on iTunes, bringing you the best content through Star Trek and beyond. So be sure to check us out. We're also online at Trek.FM. You can find us on Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. If you'd like to talk to the show Send us your thoughts. Go to trek.fm slash contact. Just choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to us. While you're on iTunes, help us out. Give us an iTunes review and rating. It definitely helps the show. You have no idea how much it helps to have your guys' reviews and ratings there. It really makes us more visible there in iTunes. And then, of course, we are... On Facebook with our listeners-only discussion group, and that's the Babel Conference. It's the best place to talk about anything geek online. Just type Babel in the search field on Facebook, or you can go to the website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Now, guys, uh, I'm I'm excited. Uh, Can you believe that we are literally a week away, as we're recording now, from seeing Star Wars The Force Awakens. I, I just, I had to mention that. Isn't that insane? It's a dream come true. A dream that I never thought would ever come. And here we are, ready to see an episode seven. Like, if you if you had said to me more than three years ago that we would be talking about episode seven coming up in a week, I would have, like, yeah, right, in your dreams. And I'm just so thrilled. It, well, it's funny because Disney bought Lucasfilm and then decided to give us Episode 7, and, and maybe they were just listening to the dream is a wish your heart makes. You know, they were just channeling Cinderella and giving the fans what they wanted. What do you think, John? Well, I I, I don't know. I mean, I never entertained Episode 7 as a reality, as anything that was ever going to be a thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty trippy, man. You know, like... uh it's it's weird. It's really weird because it's almost like you can mark the stages of your life by release dates of Star Wars. Like where you are, like each trilogy is being released at a very distinct and different time in life. And it's it's really kind of weird, but in a good way. No, I God, I completely agree because, you know, as I was wrapping up this movie the other night with my wife, I was thinking about when I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater for the special edition and, and they had added the nice, you know, coda basically of the the galaxy celebrating. And it, it felt like this nice bow on the series of, and, and then of course, even in the Blu-rays, they changed it a little bit and they made it even more inclusive for the rest of the galaxy. And it just, it was almost as if George was saying, congratulations guys, you made it, you know, like this is, this is really the end. There wasn't going to be any more. And, and the fact that, you know, episode seven is seven days away is just, to me, insane. Uh, and so, you know, I've got my fingers crossed. I'm trying to keep all of my expectations at bay and just go into the film and really enjoy it. So uh, I don't want to get too far into that because it's going to come out in seven days and what we're saying here won't matter at all. But it is, it's kind of crazy. 
Which makes me want to ask you guys, because I think you probably have more fun stories than I do, but about your episode six experience. And, you know, where did you guys see it? And how did this movie, did it change your life at all? You know, I remember, Bruce, you said, you know, when you saw episode five, it was like people were like, eh, you know. Was that the same experience you had with episode six, or did people... Do you feel like they liked this one better? Yeah, I remember going to school and people saying they liked this one better. And I thought, well, yeah, because it's got Tatooine, it's got a Death Star, it's repeating kind of what you saw in the fourth, or episode four, but I said the first movie back then. Uh, I still, at that time, liked The Empire Strikes Back better than this one, and I still would say that today. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it seemed to be more well accepted and, you know, the talk about different points in your life, I thought about it today. I hadn't really thought about it before, but when I saw, uh, the first film, I was in elementary school and then when Empire Strikes Back, I was in middle school and this one I was in high school. And so I was excited to see this film and I wasn't sure if I didn't like it as much as Empire Strikes Back because, you know, I'm in high school now and. I hit puberty when I saw Leia on screen. So, well, no, that's not true. Um, I hit puberty before that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I think we understand. It makes sense. I think I hit puberty before it, but then when I saw Leia in the slave, we'll talk. You understood why you did. Right. There. There you go. We'll just leave it at that. So, yeah, it was a different experience because I was a different age. So I wasn't sure if it was age or the film or whatever, but looking back as an adult at the three films, um, Empire is still my favorite of the three. Oh, fair. I mean, that's fair enough. I, uh, I was in grade school through the whole run, uh, even though I was very mature for my age. And uh, I remember with Return of the Jedi that um, like I, people, in, for some reason in my school, I... I have two memories tied specifically to when the movie came out. The first is that my friend's mother was friends with uh, the owner of a theater. So we got to jump the line when we saw it for the first time. And I specifically remember feeling very uncomfortable because of how angry the people in line were when they saw us walk past them. Like they were, they were pretty unhappy about it. And I like, I think at that tender age, I didn't care, but I kind of got why, you know, I was like, it, it was almost like this feeling of like, you know, I'm a wee lad. I'm like, guys, it's, I, I'm not doing this to be mean. It's my, I'm going with my friends. Um, and then <laughs> I also remember being in class and I, I adored this movie from the word go. And I would write the logo over and over again. Um, you know, Return of the Jedi that, you know, with the block around it and the, the, the serif lettering and everything like that. And I remember a girl sitting in front of me in class, turning around and looking down and saying, what's a jetty? And I said, what? What? What, what did you just ask Is me? Is that where you uh, Picard face palmed and you're like. Yeah, I was like, it's, it's Star Wars. It, it came out because, I mean, you know, like it, it came out like, what, didn't you see this? And she's like, I, no, I don't know what that is. I was like, what? And it was that was my first experience of being. I guess the the nerd slash geek that was like, wait, you don't know what I'm talking about, which, you know, it's something I think that we've all had repeated throughout our lives. You know, I wish I had a story as cool as you guys, because mine just takes place back in that living room. And we had taken Empire Strikes Back out of the, you know, video cassette player and put in Return of the Jedi 
But there is something about this film that did capture me, and it was, I think it was that whole sail barge scene. There's just something so swashbuckling about that. It feels like, because I grew up watching a lot of old films, and it reminded me of like an Earl Flynn type of movie. Uh, You know, it, it, it just had that infectious fun to it. And I, you know, Empire is still my favorite film, but that particular part of this film captured me. And then, of course, too, I mean, that's the revelation of the fact that Luke Skywalker has a new lightsaber. And I loved that lightsaber as a kid. That was my favorite lightsaber of the entire saga until they brought the prequels out, and I fell in love with Obi-Wan's lightsaber from uh, Episode 3, and and that's continues to be a favorite i have that master replicas lightsaber in my living room it's just but what i love too is that you know as i got older and i figured things out luke had copied not his father's lightsaber that he had had but he had copied his master you know obi-wan i still and his lightsaber i still think that that i've never read anything to confirm this but i still think that that was at least partially done so that when Ian McDiarmid delivered the line where he's holding it, you know, your lightsaber, you know, much like your father's, I honestly think that Lucas would have gone to those lengths to throw people off, like to to prevent leaks. Because they had like two different versions, you know, versions of the script floating around. And actually, I remember in the annotated screenplays, which came out in, around the time of the special editions, um, by Laurent Bouzereau. Well worth reading if you guys can find a copy. Um, and I remember uh, uh, Kazanjian saying that his secretary as a special, like, you know, end of production gift had stolen the script out of his desk and bound it for him as a gift. And he had to laugh because she, the security was so tight. He had, uh, she had ta- wound up taking the, uh, the fake script, like with, with a bunch of like misleading <laughs> awesome. lines in it. And he was like, oh, it's still one of my favorite gifts. And I was like, ha ha. But to speak, to speak back to the lightsaber overall, I mean, it was practical reasons that they switched it to green. But I've always loved the fact that Luke had that green saber, even when I was a kid, because uh, like, I, it just it winds up intentionally or not signifying that he's a different person. Like, it's really cool. It's an immediate visual signal, you know, even outside of the outfit that he's wearing that he's he's a different kind of person than even we saw in the previous film. And I just, I really like that. Well, and I like to think of now in my headcanon until I'm hopeful that uh, Lucasfilm and, the, and Del Rey Bokes will just confirm is that that crystal comes from Qui-Gon's lightsaber. That's, that's my headcanon, that he had found that in Ben's hovel, and that's, you know, that's where he get the parts to obviously make the lightsaber. And where else would he get these parts? Uh, he could have gotten them. I, I know. I no. know you can get them all over the galaxy. You can find them if you want to. But that, to me, that was my headcanon after the prequels. And I love that, too, because I also think the connection between Luke and Qui-Gon is huge because I think Luke is going to be a Jedi much more in the vein of Qui-Gon with the living force than he is going to be like, uh, you know, Obi-Wan and and Yoda were in that sense. Uh, you know, I think both of those two characters move a lot closer to a Qui-Gon. But to me, 
that's also what that color signifies. And sure. I know that's complete like speculation and headcanon, but it, it, it makes complete sense. No, it does. It, it does make sense. I actually, I like that. Um, because I think that, um, one of the things that, because people, people have odd memories because, you know, now that the prequels are out and it's fun to, you know, kick on the prequels and stuff like that. Jedi was always the one where people mocked the performances and in, in specific Hamill's performance. Um, but I think that's because he is very much like uh, Qui-Gon. You know, I mean, now that we have the prequels, we can draw the comparison and everything. But in this, he is a lot like Qui-Gon. Yes, there's the action sequence, but he's a much more in control, calm person through the movie. He's much, you know, like when he has his conversation with Leia, it's a very mature, reserved, peaceful type of soul that he is. Uh, like even when he faces Vader... And it can come across as flat, I guess. Uh, it, but I think that's a misreading of it. And I, I will always love the fact that um, in McDermott, when he was interviewed around the time of Revenge of the Sith, they asked about, you know, I saw some interview where they asked him about performing with Hamill or maybe it was, a, you know, something came out in the magazine or something. And he said that he, like his opinion was that Hamill didn't get enough credit because the interviewer praised, you know, uh, McDarmid for his performance and he's like acting doesn't happen in a vacuum he goes as good as you think I am it's because Mark Hamill gave me so much to play off of and I knew where I was going because of him and I think that that Hamill's like this is really a command performance and I think it's because he does really embody that very sedate calm uh, Jedi that like is the reversal of the expectation of what we all expect a Jedi to be. I mean, if you can act with a Muppet, you can act with anyone. Yeah, right. Even <laughs> well, Ian McDermott. Right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly what Matt was trying to say. But I think this goes back to a great conversation that we did have in our, our episode four conversation with Bethany and, and Riley when we were talking about the way in which Luke is more like Padme and Leia is more like Anakin. Mm, and that yeah. you can really see that Padme-ness, if that, that's not even a word, but in Luke here, he's very calm, he's very controlled. Uh, he he has all of his emotions, for the most part, in check uh, until the one that he loves is, is you know, his sister, the one he's holding most dear at that point, is in danger. And that's the exact same way Padme was. It took so much to rile her up, and then when you did, it, you know, it was that she was a woman of action. She was going to go get him. And I, I really, I, I was thinking through that when, when I was watching this and thinking, man, Bethany was so on track there because I really see that play out in these two characters. And when we look towards The Force Awakens, and J.J. has already said, Leia not being a Jedi is her conscious choice of choosing to be the kind of the more military leader than spoiler have the time territory to, to spoiler to, territory. Yeah, I just I think that's uh I think that's really fascinating. And again, it goes towards those kids being who their parents were in very interesting and unsuspecting ways, especially when. 
as we'll talk a little bit later, there's good reason for Obi-Wan and, and Yoda to worry about Luke when they've already trained a Skywalker, and it, it just didn't go the way that they thought it would. Hey, uh, keep in mind also that Yoda's responsible for Dooku. So Yoda, <laughs> Yoda unleashed Dooku on the world. And, uh, well, and, you know, and oh, can, we say, that du- yeah. can <laughs> we say that Dooku was necessarily totally wrong? I mean, he before he joins the Sith, he does see that there's a huge problem in the galaxy and nobody wants to listen to well, him. Well, I think the more important thing with Dooku is if you look closely at his outfit, if you take away his little cape, his charming little cape, um, his outfit actually looks a lot like Luke's in Return of the Jedi. That's true. Yeah, and maybe I've, he I've uh, raided Dooku's like closet on Sereno, like or something. No, I, you know, I think that films. possibly, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, they had to go clear out uh, Dooku's stuff <laughs> after the war was over, and Obi Wan saw an outfit in his size from when Dooku was younger. And he was like, you know what? I think I'll hold on to this, and it's hanging in his closet when Luke is going through all of the stuff. And he's like, oh, I like this a lot. I love and Obi-Wan awesome. just didn't have the heart when he appeared on Dago to be like, Luke, you might not want to be wearing that outfit. So wait, wait, yeah. wait. So Luke yeah. is wearing Dooku's outfit and he's using the crystal from Qui-Gon. And so Luke just borrows from people. He's not his own. Well, I, th- I think I think we've I mean, that's a master that. apprentice relationship yeah. there, too. I mean, Qui-Gon was taught by Dooku. Right. So, but he's all. Yeah. yeah and Luke is yeah. synthesizing the rebellious nature that that motivated Dooku. I think we've we've set up a whole book here, guys. We need to go pitch this to Disney right now. Let's do it. Delray, we've got amazing idea right here. <laughs> we with the three authors here, we're, we'll we'll write it all together. That's right. And it will um, be canon. That's what's really cool about it. Oh, that's the please. best part. It'll yes. be canon. Uh, I can we can turn our head canon into actual canon. Hey, I just want to <laughs> go back to what you said about Bethany and the Padme thing real quick. Uh, I I I heard that episode. I remember that being discussed. But when I watched Return of the Jedi just last night, I wasn't even thinking about that discussion. I just, when Luke was interacting with Vader at certain times, I kept thinking, boy, that's kind of like Padme. Like, I, I kept thinking Padme, and I didn't even think back to that conversation that Bethany bro- uh, brought up, like you just said now. So it's, maybe it was subconsciously in the back of my head, but I, it really stood out to me this time that I could see Padme and Luke. Yeah. Bethany subconsciously in a lot of people's heads now, thanks to the internet. Well, so she's texting I, me right now, too, so she's all over the place. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell her we said hi. Um, and we're mentioning her in the show. There so. you go. I, I wanted to ask you guys about something because, you know, there there is an interesting flow to Return of the Jedi. It, it, it does seem to be kind of the tale of two films, you know, because the very beginning about 45 minutes of this movie is saving Han Solo. We set up at the very beginning the whole conflict about uh, the Empire and the Death Star and the fact that the Emperor's coming to visit it and all that stuff. But then very quickly, at literally about 45 minutes of this film is spent on back on Tatooine wrapping up a story point because Han Solo, we, we gotta go rescue him. And... So first, I kind of wanted to ask, just in general, as as movie fans and, and, and people who watch a lot of movies, does this movie feel like The Tale of Two Halves, or does it feel like it, it fits enough together? Because there really are two separate huge acts in this film. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that 
uh, and you know, I'll, I'll couch this by saying that that spoiler, Jedi is still my favorite of the original three. But one of the criticisms that I would I would throw at it is that the middle part, middle act, if you will, uh, gets a little muddled. And that's why it feels like two halves is because the beginning is so huge. It's so big. And then it doesn't it, it doesn't really uh, downshift appropriately. It sort of screeches to a halt in that middle section. Now, it regains its footing, but it. it it finds you know it's a little imbalanced uh in the in the second act so that i think that's a, a fair criticism but overall like i think that um i mean i i still feel that it's got a good you know three act structure like i don't i don't feel that it's necessarily too different i i like the fact that the beginning of it actually starts off the way that it does because it really establishes Luke's advancement since the last time you saw him because empire opens with his first demonstration of how he's advanced by, you know, by calling the lightsaber to his hand, this you know, it ends with the action sequence, but it also, I think has a wonderful moment when you first meet him where he, there's there is that darkness where he um chokes the guards his first demonstration of force power is something that we've seen associated with the dark side mm-hmm. and that music in the back of that yeah it, it but, does feel dangerous but i but that's why i do, i do, that's why i don't feel that it's quite that that bifurcated is because i think that there's a lot of setup in that first part that ties directly into everything that happens in the end so i I, I don't think it's quite that that bifurcated. I, I don't feel that it's two different movies in that sense. I'm going to bring this up because I think it really flows into this. But uh, for me, it, it's not that it really feels uh, some what schizophrenic or something. What I think is the issue, and, and this is an issue in Empire Strikes Back as well, is how t- fast time passes in the Star Wars universe and that there's not a real good demarcation of how much time has passed. You know, uh, think back to Empire. Luke moves some rocks and he seems to be there for maybe a day. Uh, and then by this film, well, he's a Jedi. All he needs to do is face his last trial, which is, you know, Vader. Well, from what I know of Vader, he's the badass of the galaxy and the Emperor. And especially now that I watch the films this way, I know how badass the Emperor is. I know what Vader can do, uh, especially if I've been reading the comics. I mean, this guy can take out an entire squadron with just one ship. Uh, you know, he can take out 40, 50, 60 troops of rebels by himself. I mean, so I think, to me, it's the time passage here because the film opens and it's got that great scene. I I love it. I I love the energy. It's just so kinetic. And then, you know, you move to Luke going to Dagobah, but it, it, it goes so quickly. You know, there's no... It almost would be better somehow if I got the sense that 
some time is passing more than just a few moments that I'm spending on screen, but that, you know, Luke's trip to Dagobah, it takes him like a week to get there. You know, uh, they meet back up with the fleet maybe a month later, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, but that doesn't bother me. Because, That's like that in all, all Star Wars movies. Well, no, it's it's like that in the original series. I think in the prequel trilogy, obviously, you don't have that much of an issue with it because each of those stories is built to take place over a few days. But, you know, when you get from episode one to episode two, you know 10 years has passed. Yeah. You know, because Anakin even says 10 years has passed. He's a different person. You know, like there's... There's a clear delineation between how much, and even from episode two to three, you can tell a lot of time has passed, you know. Um, You're saying, though, within the Return of the Jedi, you feel like time's passing too fast. But I'm saying that I think it's actually an issue in the original trilogy that time, there doesn't seem to be a realistic sense of how long things should take so that it and it's movie. That's a movie. Yeah. That's kind of movie magic of like uh, a hero can go from zero to hero, you know, in, in two seconds. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel that, I mean, Luke, Lucas has always sort of tried to push the boundary in terms of uh, expressing that it's not literal time. Like, you know, he, and I think that uh, he, he really starts to, you know, experiment a lot with uh with you know empire and then jedi with sort of accelerating time like representative time as opposed to uh you know literal time i mean they they did go back and they you know i i mean in the in the zon books they go back and they they address the west end game stuff of saying well it might have looked like it was an hour on film but it was actually 4 days to alderaan and that sort of thing um and I, th- I think that it's just, it's sort of that understood shorthand. And with Jedi, yeah, things do seem to happen really, really fast. But I think that's because this is, this is that moment in time. Like every time we, we, we hit something happening, like in Jedi, everything's happening. This is everything coming to a head. So yes, it does happen very fast. In Empire, I think that there's, more a sense of of breathing room in between the the wipes uh sort of thing i don't know well and yeah i i always assumed that was the case you know that luke is is on dagobah for probably a few months Mm. and it my guess is that it takes a few months for i mean because falcon doesn't have a hyperdrive so it's just flying to bespin so that doesn't just it's not a snap of your fingers like the hyperdrive is, you know? So those kind of things, like, I I just kind of assumed that. Um, but I, for me, it was thinking, I, you know, and we, this is what we do as fans. We just overthink things. And I was overthinking this idea. But specifically, for me, it came down to the fact that the character of Luke being able to take on the Emperor and Vader who Yoda and Obi-Wan had a tough time with in their prime. You know, uh, see Luke, but that that's the th- I mean that's the thing is that's the beauty of the ending of this film in specific and it's one of the reasons that I love it is that Luke defeats the emperor by not fighting him. Luke specifically defeats the emperor by 
turning the other cheek and saying, you know what? If I have to die for my beliefs, then that's what's got to happen. And it's like that's, you know, that's what lets the air out, out of the emperor's uh, force balloon, as it were. But I think that there's additionally, yes, it takes formal Jedi training in the prequels a long time to develop. But that's because there's this order. There's this set, you know, uh, guide of rules and regulations. And, you know, and that's one of the reasons that the order falls is that it's become its own bureaucratic mess while it's serving another bureaucratic mess. I think that even Luke being on Dagobah for a couple of days because of who he is, because of his natural talent level, and also being on Dagobah, which you know you could ar- you could then retcon and argue in is like, well, you know, you you know that it's rich in the Force, you know that the living Force is there. Maybe Luke is just basically imbued, like it just it the Force awakens in him in the Empire Strikes Back because it's the like he goes to Dagobah, he is who he is, and then Yoda trains him and and you know coaches him through everything. I mean, he actually faces a trial. Like, if he, the impression you're left with is if Luke had managed to, you know, to do the right thing, quote unquote, in the cave, you know, under the magic tree, he would have been a Jedi. Yoda would have been like, yep, there you go. You did it. You faced your fear. You've passed your trial. That's Luke's Jedi trial. He fails it. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, I, I think that Luke is just basically. You know, it, it's he's imbued with the force. It's the trigger to turn him to. He's still not ready when he leaves because he's too rough around the edges. He should have stayed on Dagobah longer to complete his training. But in terms of power and in terms of skill, he's just about there. You know, like I, I think he only need he only needs a short amount. Yeah, of time. I mean, I no, I agree with you in that, and, and I mean again. We are talking about a Skywalker. We're talking about Dagobah, which we already know to be a very Force-rich planet. So all of that makes sense. Um, unfortunately, it does seem like Luke loses a step in his actual saber technique by the time it gets to Return of the Jedi. Because I can't stand this lightsaber battle. What? Uh, I have never liked this lightsaber battle. Even when I was a kid, I was like, this is not... I Well, and I think it's because I grew up watching too many movies with fencing. Okay. And... There is absolutely no part of this fight that looks realistic. Nobody just swings around a blade like like they are. It's it's horrendous. It's but you know it's sad is that Empire Strikes Back is so good. It's so good. Yeah. And this one is just I awful. never picked up on that. No. It's watch it again and look at how he is just swinging that saber for like the fences, like he's a baseball player or something. Yeah. It just looks off. But, but, but. He's emotional. Luke, yeah. But neither Luke nor Vader is fighting to win. Right. In this fight. Like they're not, their heart isn't, they're not bringing their A game in this fight. And I, like, I think that's. I, I, st- I still don't buy it. I know because Vader mm. is in it to win. When no. he throws that saber at his son and cuts down the, the, you know, the, the great that yeah. Luke's walking on the, the I mean he's in it to win he's in it to take out his son and find out what else he knows well I mean he's still in it at that point the way that 
and this is the frustration I and again I had this from the moment I watched this film when I was a kid it's just, it's a bad sword fight no and I hadn't come to expect that especially after Empire Strikes Back which is honestly probably tied for best lightsaber battle for me next to say like Revenge of the no, Sith. No, see the the thing is I I don't Vader when he throws the saber you can make the argument that he's getting into it at that point because he's getting punked. Like he's you know Luke's not even he knows Luke's not in it to win and he still can't get any game going. Like and his heart's still not in it either. When he throws the saber is Vader's uh, you know been punked he's a confused mess at that point like vader is victim of a bunch of conflicting emotions in the battle is there the finesse is there the 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 raw choreography of empire strikes back no i agree with you there but i think that also every lightsaber battle serves a purpose in terms of how it's constructed the obi-wan vader lightsaber battle in a new hope is Vader toying with Obi-Wan and taunting him because Obi-Wan doesn't even really offer any real sport to him at that point. Vader knows he's going to kick his ass and he's just trying to make it last. With Empire, Vader's testing Luke. And then with Jedi, Vader's confused. He doesn't really know if he wants this anymore. And, like, I just feel that his heart's not in it. I mean, he's going to fight because, uh, you know, that's... He's in a fight and he's going back and forth, but I just I, I think it it suits the emotion of the moment. Well, I'm gonna push back because I'm gonna say I don't I think Obi Wan could have taken Vader out on the no. Death Star and no that's, because, that's no we're not gonna go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, because no. I think that he could have done it. I think he's the one toying with Vader. Oh my god! And no. he's never ever ever doing it to win. He's just doing it to bide time for Luke and the rest of the people. That no, no, I no. That's yes. that. No, wait, no. wait. wait. So no. We're not gonna, you thought he's just no. toying with Vader, going, "Come on, Luke, show up, so I can get you out of here." Yeah, exactly. Come on, I'm, Luke, show up, so I can, a, he so knew I can get cut in half. He, right. you know, he knew exactly what he was no, doing. No, no, no. Because the thing is, like with Vader, I mean, with with Vader, both Obi Wan and Yoda believe that destroying him is the way that it has to go. Like Luke subverts his own mission. That they've given to him. They want him to go destroy Vader. Luke winds up subverting everything by not well, doing it. I understand it. that. I'm no, just, but I'm like, just if saying If Obi-Wan could have taken out Vader in A New Hope, he would have. I'm just saying, though, that I think that's a much more evenly matched fight than you were giving it credit for. Um, so, No. I, I Vader's in control that whole time. My, my, my point is, is this, in all of it, is that... It's the it's the look of the the fight that I don't like. I understand all the emotion, I understand everything that's going on and that part's great. It's just it's a technical mess and it bothers me because it bothers me as a film fan, as a person who enjoys who grew up loving the sword fight at the end of, you know, the Robin Hood movie. Um and you can put a lot of emotion and everything into a fight and still at the same time have it be look technically excellent instead of swinging like baseball one, bats 
Exactly. So, Even though Vader um, killed yeah. Obi-Wan by doing a baseball bat swing. Well, Obi-Wan didn't really I want another special edition point. now where he does a Babe Ruth point before he takes Obi-Wan out. He just he points right That would be awesome. Oh, he should point this right This one's at, for you, should, Rebels. No, he should point right at Luke. That's <laughs> and that that there you go. We've got a new special edition I, change. And I I you know, I say that it, again, that was my immediate reaction as a kid watching this film for the first time just being a kid who grew up watching great sword fights you know i grew up on earl flynn movies and stuff where it was magnificent what they did and i i would have hoped that the fight would have been better um i'm not asking for anakin obi-wan from episode three i'm just asking for it to be well well, what's it, what, more get, technically I it, proficient? I, I just but, never heard anybody say that, but yeah, yeah. I, I I told you guys we talked about the beginning of the podcast. How ridiculous! When you, when you were so. a kid, did you think they were lightsabers or lightsabers? No, I knew they were lightsabers. Listen, you're you're willing to let the fact go that uh, a lightsaber casts a shadow, but the the technical fighting is what you're gonna. You're gonna throw up on it. It's, no, that's it's cool. the mechanics that's cool. of the fight. That's all right. It doesn't look good. So it, you, know. you know, it it just doesn't look good. And 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 for me, it's like it was frustrating because it looked great in Empire. It just doesn't look. It doesn't have the same effect. Maybe it looked better from just, Mara, Mara Jade's angle from where she was. Right. Now, it probably did. But it probably did. But what's she, interesting about that is that Mark Hamill, many years later, uh, said that the. Um, they had originally choreographed something much more uh, intricate and complex uh, uh, on set, and Lucas changed it. Like, there were apparently uh, some more acrobatics in it and one-handed fighting, and they had, like, done this big elaborate thing, and apparently Lucas was the one that came in and said, no, 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 no the fight should be like this. That's Hamill's that. memory many years later. Yeah, but, like, you know... Lucas said, "This is the way yeah, the fight should be," and so they changed uh, just, everything. Just swing it like this, like just just do it like this. No, no, no. Just, there, there's going to like be some Baseball kid bat. watching oh. this on video, and I and uh, he's going to like anyway. Errol Flynn, and I really want him angry. Anyway, uh, I am sorry for bringing us down that road because we just went down a huge tangent. I just got to mention, you know what I love? What Boba Fett goes out like a punk. He does. He goes out like he deserves. I love it. If you got somebody, greatest bounty hunter in the galaxy, my Aunt Susie's ash can. He has Luke dead to rights and takes a shot at him from behind when Luke isn't even looking or paying attention at all, and he misses. He should have. Now we want to know. People are like Greedo. He can't miss across the table, but apparently bounty hunters can't hit anything either. You know what? <laughs> when he missed the second shot, he should have just thrown himself into the Sarlacc. It, he shouldn't have even given Han the chance to activate his jetpack. He should have just been like, I suck, and just jumped in. I mean, maybe if they'd put Dengar on the fight, it would have been gone, it would have gone better. <laughs> well, and Han, boss, yeah, Han swung know. that that uh, that thing like a baseball bat when he took Gaffy him out. Gaffy stick so. or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boba Fett. Boba, Boba Fett. Boba. Where? Yeah, it's awesome. You know what, just, you know what I'll I never forget is in the it. comic book adaptation, um, they had, I, I guess, what was one of the original lines, but... Han was in the original script, like swinging it around. It wasn't as quick, and uh, I'll never forget that um, he starts swinging it around much more on purpose. And the line in the comic book from Boba Fett was, "You blind gawk, you're next." <laughs> <laughs> 
And then Han hits him in the backpack and, and sends him off. Oh That's awesome. Until Lucas showed up and said, uh, no, do it this way. Oh, the cuts need to be a lot. <laughs> well, actually, with the sail barge, um, the, there was a note apparently passed back from the negative cutters saying that there were more edits in the sail barge fight than in most entire films that they had worked on. Wow. Yeah, it it actually sounds like you were on the set. That's so cool, John. No, I. That is oh, Lucas shush. for you. That, though, at that no, point that's also from the uh, the annotated screenplays. I have that book. I have to pull that out again. <laughs> uh, what I kind book. of like too is it that is. Um, you know Jabba has a pretty long history with dealing with Jedi, and you know that's one of the fun things about the Clone Wars is is getting to watch him interact and the Huts themselves interact with these Jedi. Um, and so when Luke comes in and says he's a Jedi, you just know Jabba's got to be laughing inside and, and laughing at his face oh, like oh, this oh, is oh. no Jedi. <laughs> you know, uh, I've I've dealt with Jedi. This this pipsqueak is not a Jedi. Well, yes, especially if you're reading the comics, too. I'll just he throw doesn't, that out. But he doesn't even have a lightsaber when he shows up. How is Jabba supposed to take him seriously? That's true. I, I'm, yeah. And that's another great. thing. Just... I, I want to I bring this question up. So long as we're talking about Jabba, Jabba has an awful security detail, okay? Because if somebody... Bib Fortuna should be fired. Well, Bib, yeah. He should be put in the right Although, that, again, that is something that, that in the days of pan and scan video, a lot of people missed, but is beautiful when you, see, when you can see the fully framed shot is uh, when uh, when Jabba's delivering the sentence, you know, in three years, it used to be thrown into the belly of the all-powerful Sarlacc. You can see Bib Fortuna, but only in the in the full, you know, uh, widescreen version. Uh-huh. Bib Fortuna sitting in the background sulking. Like, you can see yeah. that he's been, like, kicked into the kid's corner. And, like, I just think it's a, it's a beautiful, like, there's a, so much stuff that just happens on the corners. These The, the shots are so rich. But anyway, um Jabba security detail. As Rick McCallum would say, there's so much happening in each shot. Yeah. But uh, the Jabba security detail sucks because if somebody gives you two droids, one of whom is basically a rolling Swiss army knife, aren't you going to scan it or even like deactivate, like take the thing apart to see if it's hiding any weapons or bombs inside of it? For all they know, R2-D2 was packed full of C4 or something like that. And was just like rolling off to his doom to kill everybody. But it's like, oh, look, two droids from a stranger who's friends with the guy that I got kidnapped. Yeah, all right. Come on in. Like, does anybody scan R2? How does he hide the lightsaber inside himself? No, they just needed a, uh, you know, a droid on the sail barge. And I think he'll do nicely. So I know, but, you know, I'm just saying, (laughs) I'm just saying. I can't get on an airplane with four ounces of milk, yet you can roll in a droid into Jabba's palace. (laughs) There's the great scene when Leo, you know, is dressed up as the bounty hunter. She hits the wind chimes there, yeah. and she's walking through, and there's all these people you can tell that are, like, asleep on benches. I'm like, who wants to have a slumber party at Jabba's? Yeah, right. I mean, it just looks like the most <laughs> uncomfortable place in the world to sleep. That's, I, it, it didn't, I was like, come on. Well, they're oh all drunk and passed out. Ruby served them too many drinks. Yes. Was Ruby working? Serious question. Ooh, could we tie the universes together that yes, way? Yes. I think Ooh, so. Ruby's working. Yeah. Why not? Is she dressed in a costume that it, she's chosen or that Jabba chose? Hmm. 
I think everybody was in a costume that Jabba chose. I think he dressed everybody yeah. in his palace. That's true. Snice noodles didn't have a choice. Uh-huh. Didn't ha- I, I think uh, everybody did. Yeah. Okay, I have. I, I do have a serious question for you. Was this really Luke's plan the whole time to get them to the Sarlacc pit just so R2 can shoot him his lightsaber? Is this really the plan? I wonder that every time I watch this movie. Every time. Because it's like, okay, the lightsaber's in R2. Obviously, that's the plan, right? That R2 knows where to go and is going to shoot the lightsaber out for Luke to get it. I mean, but how could he have known that? No, he doesn't. This is where I think you see Luke tapping into advice from Yoda. Because what does Yoda say when Luke glimpses the future in, uh, in Empire Strikes Back? Always in motion is the future. Meaning you can see possible futures. Luke actually is planning ahead. He's giving Jabba an opportunity and you know his friends an opportunity to get Han out of there at every step. And he is just thinking far enough down the line to say, you know what, I've glimpsed this one possible future where I'm going to need R2 in this position, so I'm putting the lightsaber in him. But it becomes a different thing. Like if Leia gets Han out, which is obviously, you know, plan C or D or whatever by that point, if Leia gets Han out, right, then all Luke has to do is go back and like buy the droids back or spring the droids somehow. Apparently, then, they have more plans than, like, the Dolphins' defense schemes. I mean, just <laughs> seriously. The, it, yes. It's starting to sound like when you play Madden and you'd be looking through, like, 12 pages of plays. Yes. How many plays they got going on Luke's here, a great coach. He's just Luke is the Bill Belichick of the Star Wars galaxy. And Lando's just sitting there like, come on, coach, put me in. Yeah. I know I can do Land- it. Uh, you know what? Land- oh, who would Lando be? All right, if it's on the Patriots, in which well, see, the, hmm. can we not talk about the Patriots okay. on my podcast? Please? All right, sorry, I, I just I, you know, okay, I just don't like the Patriots. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> That's certainly I, I interesting. Just, I don't. They I, are the most I Jedi like, like Tom but Brady. I'm yeah, sorry. Luke is just a great. He's just a great coach, and he just he rolls with it, and he knows everything that's going on, and he, you know he's just ready, ready for some trouble. Yeah, you sold it to me. Yes. Okay, another serious, very a very serious question because. Obviously, the metal bikini, as I always knew it, has the gold metal bikini has made just the rounds on the internet. And I have two dads with me who also happen to be dads of only girls. And I, I wanted to ask you guys about it. And I can understand some of it because we live in a culture that's so over sexualized, it's insane. But when it comes to this, what do you guys think? I mean, is this a deal or has it just been overblown? Especially as dads who will sit down with their girls, watch Star Wars, and talk about these things. Just to let you know, I did ask my girls some questions before we got on the show tonight. And I will say, first of all, that when I saw this film, I and I was joking earlier about the Slave Leia costume. It really didn't, like, I didn't think anything of it. So this evening I asked my girls about it and they said, and now they're oh, throughout the ages, they're 14 and 11. They said, and, and they saw these movies, you know, years ago and they've continued to, and they said that they never really thought that much about it. They actually had and still have, but they got it years ago of the action figure of Slave Leia. Um, 
if anything, they, you know, I, I, I never felt it was inappropriate. I mean, they saw the film, they had the action figure. It was just a matter of, you know, she's, she's captured. She's in this bikini. Uh, as a matter of fact, my oldest daughter said, Oh, I don't think that's bad. I've been watching Smallville and there's a lot more bad things going on in there. They're always the guys are always taking their shirts off just to make the girls go woo woo woo. So Leia's probably in there just so the boys can go woo woo woo. Woo woo Come on, ride the train. Let's ride it. Sorry. <laughs> but you know, I I just don't think there I never thought anything about it until all this really started coming up and you know, this dad that was in a target outside of philadelphia with his daughters and found it in the toy aisle and he didn't know why she was dressed that way and didn't know what to tell his daughters and he asked like they were traumatized no i mean my girls were young when they got the action figure they never act traumatized or even when they saw the movie especially when you know the context of it but even if you don't you just say you know she's obviously a slave i mean it's not like there's any weird sexual weird things going on there i don't know uh, my girls are uh, younger than yours, Bruce, and I can tell you that uh, they've seen Return of the Jedi, and they didn't even bat an eye. They didn't even notice. Y- you've got a movie that has a giant puppet slug, a uh, guy shooting lightning out of his fingers, lightsabers, faster than light tra- Like, you know, let's keep on going down the list here, guys. A guy in a walking iron lung, and, uh, like, it's just a- another costume to them it's just another piece of the weirdness right and so like they see it and it's like oh leia's obviously you know Jabba's in charge of her on top of all of that though is the fact that leia then kills Jabba, right which you know has its own symbolism if you want to assign it to that and you know you can go back and you'd be like oh well it's a blow for this blow for that whatever but it's just a costume and for people to be as prudish about it now, especially in the era of, uh, you know, people getting up in arms and or upset about that outfit, and I'm not going to mince words here, in the era of internet pornography, right? What? You, you, what? I mean, like, you want to talk about stuff that is detrimental to the perception of women and how they should behave and blah, 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 all of that stuff. Quite frankly, there is enough going on in the world that if my daughters come to a point where they see Princess Leia's outfit and they say, so why is she dressed like that? You can open up a whole conversation and say, well, Jabba the Hutt represents a way of thinking where he couldn't relate to women outside of sexualizing them. And you can see how that's bad because it's demeaning. And so when you encounter somebody that can only view you in a sexual way and can't, uh, you know, view you as a person worthy of being valued, they're telling you an awful lot about yourself. You can use it. You can turn it into that type of conversation if you want to. But in the end, it's only a thing if we make it a thing to be concerned about. And as for this father that walked into, you know, the target outside of Philadelphia that, that you mentioned, Bruce, and was like, oh, I, look at that outfit that Leia's in. I, I can't. The movie's been out for decades. Yeah. Do you mean to tell me like in his 40s? Right. It is impossible for you. There's no way. I mean, I want to know was it when Friends was on the air. Did this guy watch and think that episode uh, was cute? 
because that is sort of the specific moment in time that I remember, uh, you, you know, through the years, that moment where uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston dressed up in that awful, awful half-assed attempt at a recreation of that outfit um, for uh, David Schwimmer. Like, that is, that's the moment where it all of a sudden, Princess Leia in that outfit suddenly became a hyper-sexualized thing, you know? Like, it wasn't really a conversation before that. People every so often be like, oh, yeah, she looked good in that. Yeah. But, like, after that moment, it became, that was when the big explosion of Slave Leia's in, you know, cosplay at all of the conventions started happening. Absolutely. That's the moment. Yep, that's the moment. And and just like my daughters, your daughters, they don't think anything of it. We're the one, it's other people that are making a big deal out of it, making a, an issue. But yeah, when I was growing up, I don't remember it being anything. I don't know anybody really even talking about it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting to me. I don't have daughters. Uh, I do have a bunch of nieces, though, now. And so I, I can, I, I'm, I'm more sensitive to things, thinking about them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up as a, you know, a, watching those films and, I put the poster on my wall. I'll be honest, part of it is it had Princess Leia in a gold bikini on it, you know? But it wasn't that that's all I thought of her character as. You know, Princess Leia was all three films to me. That just happened to be part of it, you know? So um, I appreciate you guys sharing that because, uh, you know, I think, um, like you said, John, we live in a world where there's some real horrors that happen against women, and they need to be dealt with. You know, again, uh, if you want to complain about something, let's complain about internet pornography and junk like that that really demeans women in, a, in that kind of way. This is not demeaning to women. You know, this is story element 101. It's a part of the story. It has a story purpose. You know, it, there's there's no, we're going to sensationalize Leia. Yeah, and, and in the end, again, she kills Jabba. She kills the one that does it to her. So, you know, she gets her own revenge. Good thing she's not a Jedi. Sorry. Yeah, at least at that point. Yeah, no no problems there. She just takes him out, and it's it's awesome. So, well, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit. You know, we talked about him some. But the journey of Luke from episode five to six is really interesting. And uh, the conversations, you know, that he has with Yoda before he dies and then with Obi-Wan afterwards uh, and the way that they set him on this course. And, you know, a lot of people have made a big deal about the fact that Yoda and Obi-Wan seem to have lied to Luke and all of these things. But every time I watch the films, I can understand their reasoning completely. You know, you don't tell seven-year-olds certain things. And there's a lot of the backstory with Yoda and Obi-Wan's history with Anakin and how everything went down with him and trying to train him. They have a lot of concerns, and so I never feel like, to me, that they're hiding anything from him. It's more like they realize, and, and, and what I love is what Yoda says, not ready for the burden were you. The, the 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 truth of of everything is going to be a burden on Luke because it is going to give him a decision. Can I 
find a way to take out the threat of the galaxy or can I not? You know, that that's a huge thing. It's not a little thing and they don't make light of it, you know. So I just I kind of want to talk about that with you guys. because I think it's really fascinating. Well, I think it's our first uh, example or exposure to retconning in real time. Um, and, and it's a brilliant job, um, you know, because it is, you know, it, it's an interesting concept, uh, the whole conversation about, you know, many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own points of view. Yeah, that's an unfortunate salve for a lot of, you know, dodging difficult conversations. Um, but I, you know, I think that, uh, I don't know, like I, I've, I'm always, it's one of those things where it's all, you know, I'll, I'll draw a parallel to, um, dark Knight rises. Um, because in dark Knight rises, they deal with the, the result of lying in dark Knight, And so that's the theme through, you know, that film is, you know, when is it okay to lie? When is it? When do you have to be completely honest? When do you have to come to grips with the truth? And I think that you can overlay that sort of theme onto uh, Jedi, where I, I think that you can debate till the end of time: should they have told Luke, and should they not? Um, and and where do you fall? I do happen to fall on the spectrum, saying that you know, they made the right call. Um, I, 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 you know, they made the right call, but they didn't do it the right way. Um, if that makes sense. But then again, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, I think that it, it was the right call for them to do that. Well, they need to be very careful here because now that we have the prequels as part of this, they're going down the path of lying to Luke in a similar way that they weren't always honest with Anakin. And having seen what happened to Anakin, I would be very careful lying to Luke. And then when Luke finds out the truth and you haven't been honest with him, who's to say that's not going to push him to the dark side? So it's interesting in the concept of having the prequels now that they would even go down that road of not being 100% honest and then just brushing off, well, you know, it's just a certain point of view. And even, and Luke questions that. But I think that if you listen to what Yoda says and what I really like is that Luke says to him, you know, what, that I know the truth? And he said, no, that you left before complete was your training and not ready for the burden were you. That Yoda, and I feel like Obi-Wan would tell Luke when they felt like he could handle the the weight, the truth of, of everything. And when Luke was also fully trained as a Jedi Knight, he could control the Force in a, in, in, in a much better way than he could because that's why they're so afraid when he's leaving an, an Empire. Obi-Wan even says, a dangerous place you are. You know, you... you you can't handle the temptation of the dark side in the way that you need to be able to do now. And so I don't feel like they ever were not going to tell him. I just felt like they understood that they needed to 
do it in the right way at the right time. Mm. And and that's part of parenting, I think, from what I've seen with parents. There are there are certain times to tell your kids certain things and just because you haven't told them yet doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad parent. It just means you can tell it's not the right time to tell your kids something. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's ways to tell the truth, you know, couch things a little more gently. I I agree with you there. I, I get that. I think that the conversation becomes very interesting in light of the deleted scene um, or segment of a scene where Yoda says or said until it was cut that Obi-Wan wanted to tell Luke and Yoda says I stopped him he wanted to tell you I told him not to and so I think that casts it in an even more interesting light now of course that's not canon because it didn't actually occur on on the final cut of the film but you have to imagine that there was some sort of discussion even though they didn't tell him there was some sort of discussion. And I think also that there is an important element as well where when Luke finds out from Vader, he still resists that temptation, um, mainly because he doesn't want to believe it, et cetera, et cetera. But when it does come to that point, that moment of truth where he talks to Obi-Wan and Yoda, Obi-Wan and Yoda express regret for the fact that they made the decision that they felt they didn't have another type of decision to make and so I think that's the more important aspect is that when Obi-Wan and Yoda are called to the floor over it they come clean and they both say they both explain basically we felt it was the best decision we could make at the time I know it sucks I'm sorry it came out this way but we may you know like to to go back to the parenting thing that you're saying, Matthew, like we made the best call we could at the time and we had to stick with it. And, you know, may, maybe woulda, coulda, shoulda, but this is the way it is. And we're sorry that it had to be that way. Well, and what I love, if, if you're paying attention, is that Luke picks up a piece of, of this, you know, Obi-Wan and I think Yoda type logic when he talks to his father. And he calls him father. And he's like, I see you've accepted the truth. And he says, well, I accept the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. Mm -hmm. So Luke has picked up this idea and runs with the idea of perspectives and, and that you used to be this. I think you can still be this, you know, so it, it doesn't seem to adversely affect Luke the way that that kind of treatment adversely affect Anakin. But I think that's because Luke is such a different type of person than Anakin was. Anakin was so used to being the downtrodden, you know, uh, slave, basically, where he didn't trust anybody. Luke's not that person. Luke instinctively trusts everyone and is very forgiving. And that character trait, again, I think you see... It comes from the way he was raised, as we talked about in our conversation about A New Hope. But it also, I think, comes from the fact that he's much more like his, his mother in that sense. And he has a lot more of her sensibilities than he does Anakin's. And so 
all those things work together for the best and and they work together in the force to create the right person to redeem the father you know uh and it's a i don't know i just like when one of the things i love about return of the jedi and people dog it these days but i love the psychology of what happens at the end yeah i think it's really powerful and there's so much going on i I just love it well i mean you know luke I think the difference, uh, one of the important differences is that Luke is somebody who's in control. He makes choices and pursues what he wants, whereas Anakin is much more, for lack of a better term, Anakin is much more passive about his life. You know, like he sort of accepts this is the way the world is, the way the Jedi are, this is the way life is supposed to be, and he doesn't really push for things except in a very sort of passive-aggressive way, like he gets married in secret. He does these things in secret. He He's kind of sneaky about everything that he does, whereas Luke is, I make a choice. I'm pursuing that choice. I'm going to do these things, as opposed to being more passive. And I think that, I think that Luke winds up being uh, like the redemptive spark for Anakin, because I think Anakin slash Vader winds up seeing the way he should have been in his life, which was much more aggressive about his choices instead of, you know, and then of course, you know, you can go back in and you can backfill it with stuff like Ahsoka's journey and clone wars and stuff like that. Like if Anakin had been more like Luke to like flip it on its head for a second, if Anakin had been more like Luke, he would have left the Jedi order. He would have said, peace out. This is not the life that I was told it was going to be. This is not right. And and I'm out. And if he truly is destined to do these great things, then it's going to happen anyway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that's, you know, I I think that that's an important thing to note uh, about Luke's personality is that his more, again, for lack of a better term, aggressive personality uh, you know, sort of shows Anakin, like there's, there's a great line uh, I think it's in the radio drama where Anakin, when he's dying, spoilers, says to Luke um, that you're the man I always wanted to be. I, I think that's the line at the end of the radio drama. And I think that that's, that's very much true about you know Luke and the part he plays in Anakin's life. I, I think that's good. I mean, it's an interesting thing to watch that you know you when you watch these two trilogies together and you watch them one through six you do get to see the wonderful thing of luke making the decisions that anakin was unable to make you know anakin may have even kind of wanted to make those decisions but he couldn't bring himself to do it and it's you know it it, I think it's a powerful thing when you talk about how do you watch the films and there's so much power that comes from watching the trilogy in this story sense, you know, one through, one through six, that that changes a lot of things. And, and it really, you know, especially for those of us who saw the films four through six and then one through three, when you do it this way, 
it gives you a whole new appreciation for what's happening in the story. And I, I love that. I love that. Well, so, let me make a comment on uh, that. I, uh, we recently hired someone new at work and she has never seen any of the star Wars movies. And, uh, so she asked me if she could borrow my DVDs. And so I started, I, you know, we, I said, well, we'll go through one through six. And so, uh, she's halfway through two. She's only getting to watch half a movie each night. And she said to me today that she's really enjoying them because in, in society, in our culture, we know a lot of people, have, you know, have heard of Darth Vader and Chewbacca. So she's somewhat familiar with the characters, but she's so engrossed in these films because she says she's learning how the story is getting to Darth Vader. And that's what's so exciting to her is getting to that point. And that's what I love about this discussion, because everything we're talking about this movie, this movie was the third movie and it only had two to stand against it or with it. And now we're talking about Padme and Anakin and how all these characters relate. And it brings those prequel movies bring so much depth and a new perspective on these characters and these situations. They just enhance the original trilogy. And, and whatever you, anyone says about the prequel trilogy, you cannot argue the fact that it just makes these films even better. Yeah, it makes them richer and, you know, for all the ridiculous articles that I see out there about how the prequels don't matter... If you're saying that, I don't think you understand Star Wars. I, I really don't think you understand Star Wars. You know, uh, I, 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 will, I will say this. I will say that in the long run, I, I enjoy having debates about the prequels and their, their place. As anybody who's listened to these podcasts or listened to me blather on for years knows, I love the prequels. Um, and I think that they have a definite place, all of that stuff. But... I think, and, and, and I'm going to say this because we're coming to the, the end of the original six, our analysis here, and I'm going to say that my big challenge, and I'm going to repeat this on, you know, on every platform I can possibly find it on, my big challenge to everybody either listening to this or uh, online or wherever, uh, but especially the people that dislike the prequels, my big challenge to you is when episode seven comes out, give an opinion of it, write it, say whatever, without saying a single word about the prequels. Prove to me that you can do it. Because my contention, and this is where I, I agree with you guys, is the world building of the prequels is so incredibly important that without them, episode seven is not, wouldn't be as exciting for me. Because I would be left wondering about all of these different things, and to to pull from Abrams himself, uh, he said in an article that they're they're standing on the shoulders of episodes one through six. And if Abrams, who's making seven, and if you read all of the ancillary materials that we've 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 talked about from aftermath to uh, you know whatever else, the prequels and the world building of the prequels is very present in them. And uh, the richness of them is vital to the Star Wars story. Amen. Well, uh, I can't add anything to that, so I feel like we should move on because as you watch them one through six, the journey of Anakin Skywalker is going to come to a close in this film. And, you know, as uh, Luke faces off with his father, um, I wanted to ask you guys something. 
there's a great scene where the emperor and, and Vader are talking, and he says, you know, uh, my son is here. I felt it. And Vader, and the emperor says, are you sure? I, uh, because I, I haven't felt that. And I wanted to ask you, you know, especially as you were talking about, John, these ancillary materials are reading now with the comics, Vader hunting down Luke. You know, we, we've seen it through uh, Empire Strikes Back in the film. It's very clear in that movie that he's obsessed with finding Luke after the Death Star has been blown up. He's been on the hunt for years now looking for this this guy. Is there something about that happening that begins to connect Vader back to Anakin in a way he just doesn't understand that's happening? That it's connecting him back to, you know, Padme and everything he used to be in a way that he doesn't even understand until that moment when, of course, everybody's going to make fun of when he's like, no, no, you know, that something just finally, it all comes back together of the, I I used, to, you know, because he even has the great conversation with, with Luke and, I must obey my master. And it just was kind of coming together for me in the film as I was watching it again with all of this stuff that Luke has been having this impact, I feel like, on Vader without him even really doing anything. It's just the fact that he exists and that it's slowly, I feel like, connecting him back to the person he used to be without Luke having to even do anything. I don't know. What do you guys think? Am I way off base here? I think you're I think you're going in the right direction with you know, Anakin losing Padme, that was a huge thing for him. And now here's the his son in front of him. And uh it's bringing back all these memories and feelings that he had for Padme and I think he's always suspected that maybe the emperor had a hand in killing Padme. That wasn't just him. And then to see the emperor doing uh force lightning towards uh, Luke brings that, that anxiety out of Anakin of losing a loved one again, even though he doesn't really have a relationship with Luke. He, he's seeing Padme. That's what he's seeing in Luke. It's reminding him of Padme and there she is. And that's the sense we didn't get before the prequels, but that's the sense I get now when I watch it. And Vader saying no that has been added in does not bother me because it fits so well in with the prequels and even Anakin Vader saying no at the end of episode three when he finds out that he lost Padme and he's not going to lose Padme slash Luke again. So I, th you're right. I mean, he doesn't really have a relationship with Luke and Luke isn't that all powerful that he's he brought Vader to the the light side again. It's Vader that brought himself to the light side. He always had it in him. Luke was just the spark he needed to remind himself of who he was and the feelings he had. So the well, spark of the rebellion and Vader. Yes, yes, exactly. But, but I think, I think that tying into all of that, and those are all fantastic points uh, for, you know, both of you, what, what ties it together for me is, the idea that Luke is the embodiment of the emperor's lie 
Because if, if you're going to talk about the theme of lies, like Obi-Wan and, and Yoda lying to Luke for the greater good, I think that Vader, yes, he sees Padme. He sees the Mace Windu moment as well. Mm-hmm. He's reliving the Mace Windu moment of, oh, what am I, wait, wait, what am I doing here? But I think that um, he knows that Padme's death is his fault. He knows all of his sins. And uh, there was a an interview with Lucas in the New Yorker magazine back in 1997, right before the movies were about to be re-released. And they asked him, they said, what are the Star Wars movies ultimately about? And he used one word. He looked at the reporter and he said, redemption. Vader sees the lie. He sees it all boiled down to one moment. And the fact that Luke is his son and he knows he's just discovered that Leia, you know, he has a daughter as well. It it shows Vader ultimately that it he always did have a better choice to make. I think what has kept Vader going through the years before he's found out about Luke is yeah, my life sucks. And yeah, I did terrible things, but you know what? What else was I going to do? I was justified, and he could always justify it to himself. And I think that that moment is when it all comes together for him. Like, it's slowly been happening since the end of The Empire Strikes Back. But I think that through all of Return of the Jedi, Vader is on this journey of, wow, I this really was in my control. If I had made better decisions, things would have worked out differently. And I would have had kids and a family and happiness and this it was all a lie and in terms of him saying no it's funny because back when sith came out and everybody uh beat up on vader saying no which i never have i always liked it but when people beat up on him saying that uh i i actually wrote a you know a blog years years ago back when that was going on where i said the word no is a funny little thing about Star Wars because somebody screaming no happened in every single one except Jedi. And then when Lucas added it into Jedi for the Blu-rays, I actually chuckled because I was like, yes, every single one has it. And it made me happy. Yes, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, for, yeah, for no. No, I love that, John, that the... The lie that the Emperor tells, you know, they always say that the Sith never lie, that the Jedi are the ones who always lie in the films. But the Emperor lies to him, you know, when he says that we can save Padme, you know, we can. Right. And, and then it turns out, well, we can, together, we can find the knowledge that can save Padme. Like, the story keeps changing. Um, and so... And and of course the the great speculation with fans is that most likely somehow Palpatine probably had something to do with Padme's death as much as he did with Anakin's birth in the first place with uh, Plagueis. So I mean, all of this together, you know, it, the the Sith weave these terrible lies to get themselves into power, and of course, obviously, the Sith are liars because their whole persona is a lie. To the public, you know, and geez, he started a whole fake war. He completely wagged the dog uh, to to get himself into power. So, 
Uh, they're the world's worst liars. You know, the Jedi twist the truth sometimes, but they do it with, I would say, for the most part, they're they're trying to do it with the same way you might tell a lie, you know, if your wife asks her if, she looks fat in that dress, and you don't really want to like answer that question because it gets you into big time trouble. If I were a Sith, um, I would honestly answer. Yeah, uh, but you're not. So because you know, you'd have I, force light like to keep her off of you. Yeah, I think it's a really great point that you make there that he finally the lies of the Emperor come to haunt him, and then in the end, evil defeats itself almost. You know. Um, yeah. And it's great. It's it's great. So I have one more question for you guys before we get to ratings. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but uh, Obi-Wan has this great line after Yoda has died. And he says, Yoda will always be with you. What does that mean for Force ghosts in the sequel trilogy? How are they going to deal with that, do you think? And this is speculation, but... Uh, we have seen in the ancillary materials, John, that uh, Obi-Wan having more contact with Luke after A New Hope in uh, Weapon of the Jedi. And I'm just kind of asking, I'm wondering, because it seems like really the setup of, of Jedi becoming one with the Force in this way, especially you know from Qui-Gon on, is that they do have the ability to influence the next generation and onwards as long as ever. So I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, what do you guys think? No, I, you, you and I, we've, we've, we've tussled about this before. Uh, and when we talk about, uh, the, the Zahn novels, we've tussled about this. Uh, Yoda will always be with you. You know, it's a way of saying, you know, when my when my parents died, you know, well, you'll always carry mom with you or you'll always carry dad with you. Now, I haven't had the benefit of having any, you know, blue ghost uh, show up. But, yeah, they are always with me and they'll always be with me. And so I take it more as, you know, Obi-Wan saying, you know, yes, I'm appearing as a force ghost, but it's not a guarantee of, you know, like Luke being stuck on the highway and being like, hey, Yoda, could you lift that car out of my way for me? And like Yoda can show up and be like, oh, yeah, you know, like it's. I think that it's a it's not a platitude because a piece of Yoda will always be with Luke. But I don't think that it's a guarantee that Yoda will always appear or that Obi-Wan will always appear. I think that they will appear so long as the Force feels that they are necessary to appear. And once the time comes for Luke to uh, be his own man, uh, there will no longer be a need for them to appear. And so the Force could feel, you know, I mean, you know, because... We've come to understand the Force as having its own whim to a certain extent. And so that's why the midichlorians are the true bad guys of the saga. But anyway, I, I don't think it's a guarantee that the Force ghosts will be there in perpetuity. Um, 
you know, but that's just my take. I agree with you on that. I always took that line as being that, like you said, you know, when someone passes away, you they're always still always with you. You carry them with you, and and Luke is always carrying Yoda, not literally on his back, but uh, he's always carrying him. Backpack exactly. Yoda. He's always uh, all the teachings, all the things that Luke has received from Yoda are always going to be with him. So in a sense, Yoda is always with him. I feel that once, you know, we get to the force awakens, I don't know what the plan is, of course, yet, but here's a guy that's a Jedi for 40 years. And I can't imagine a Jedi that has that much experience at the age of 60 has force ghosts popping up and telling him what to do all the time. It's almost like, yeah, 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 I got it. I've, I've grown. I've, I, I know what to do now, <laughs> but you know what? Don't call me. I'll call you. And I feel like at that point, force ghosts may be around, but they only show up when Luke calls them. But right now at this age, they're kind of inserting themselves where they need to, but they'll move on. John, I think you, in it, if they do this in some kind of way in the Star Wars canon, I think it would, I would completely buy it. The, the force does have it, its own will and that they move on when that time has come. That makes complete sense to me. So I, I like that a lot. Uh, just reminded me of poor Luke. It, you could just hear him listening to the white snake. Here I go again on my own. <laughs> no. Going down the only road I've ever known. I, I, I also want to pitch an idea. Um, because Bruce, I think I think that you've you've hit on something. You've hit a vein here uh, about the the coming and the going. I think we need to start a comic strip that's like that uh, Chief O'Brien one. Uh, that you know that really sad Chief O'Brien comic strip. Um, that yeah, we need to do one like that. But it's like Luke, and every so often, like he's calling for help, and like nobody shows up or something. <laughs> but then they, but then they show up, and like he's eating. He's like he's like oh, finally a day off. And he's like eating breakfast. All of a sudden, Yoda pops up. And he's like. Eat that hot, hot sauce. You must not. He's like, oh, come on. I just want to have my eggs in peace. Leave me alone. <laughs> and he sees an ad on TV. Who are you going to call? <laughs> Ghost Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. Somebody with more it. free time. Get to work on that. That is fantastic. I love it. Um, I guess the, the best thing at this point, because obviously we can talk about this stuff forever, but um, we're here. Last film until episode seven, eight, and nine. What do you rate Return of the Jedi, Bruce? Gosh, I'm trying to remember what I rated the other ones. Um, you know what? I'm going to say that I'm giving... Why am I rubbing my eyes? Um, I am going to give this four and a half green lightsabers because... It's to me, it's almost perfect, but not as perfect as the Empire Strikes Back, which I'm sure I gave five. And so I'm going to stick with four and a half. I love the film. It's my favorite of the original six. Like Bruce, I have absolutely no idea what my rating scale is, was or ever will be again. So I will give it a hundred thousand shield generators. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Um. You know, guy, for me, 
Empire is is a is a perfect five, and uh, for me, Jedi. I really like Jedi. Still enjoy watching Jedi. It's just so much fun. It's four out of five traps. Uh, it's just it's fantastic. Uh, so I I love the fact that I have gotten the opportunity to walk through the Star Wars saga like this. I've never done this before. Just sit down and watch all the films in order and then talk about them like this. It's been a an absolute blast, and I cannot believe that in a week we will be watching a new Star Wars film, and then we will be talking about that on the 602 Club. It, it's just phenomenal. Um, be sure to check out. Uh, John and I are going to have uh, another supplemental coming out about some very small novellas, uh, e-novellas. Um, Size setting matters up some of this. Yeah, some some very uh, side characters you'll see in The Force Awakens. We're going to talk about those, so that'll be coming up soon as well. So take a look at that, and and uh, we'll also be wrapping up the Thrawn trilogy uh, right before The Force Awakens uh, next week. So that'll be fun as well. So I'm I'm really excited. We couldn't do these shows here at Trek FM without our associate producers and Patreon. Really like to thank Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson for being the associate producers through Patreon here for the 602 Club. Their support, honestly, it, it means the world to me. Uh, we are a listener-supported network here at Trek FM. And without you as the listener supporting us through that, we can't bring this great content to you each week through all of the different shows we do. And as you know, it's impossible to run a network of this magnitude without listeners like you. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can see how you can help us take all of this content and continue it coming. We've got some great goals that we're trying to reach, and we love giving back to you. So we've got patreon.zone for fans. We get exclusives all over the place uh, as well as early access to content. We've got the Patreon roundtables. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. Bruce, uh, gosh, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I can't believe that uh, we'll be talking about The Force Awakens soon. But uh, before you go, um, let everybody know where they can find you online, man. And, and of course, um, you know what you're uh, where you're normally hanging out in a casino in the clouds. I yes, think? Uh, casino in the clouds, which we call Cloud City Casino. It's a podcast where we talk about collecting, gaming, and all-around fandom in the Star Wars universe, and uh, that can be found on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and on StarWarsReport.com, which is also a website that I write for. And uh, speaking of Star Wars Report, if you hear this episode on Saturday, the 12th of December, we will be doing a live video commentary of Return of the Jedi at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So check that out. I'll be on there with Riley Blanton and a whole bunch of other people. And uh, what else? Uh, I feel like... Oh, my Twitter. Hey, follow me at Admiral underscore Rex. And uh, also check out Cloud City Casino on Friday after The Force Awakens for our reactions immediately after the film. And John, uh, I gosh, obviously I can't do Star Wars shows without you. Ruby won't let me. Um, I think she likes you more than me, so it's it's well, not surprising. Yeah. I mean, I mean, come on, uh, you you're know. a bald beauty. <laughs> uh, but um, I blinded let her. Let everybody with know my where they could spot. find you. 
<laughs> and uh, I think I think normally you're in this place where you talk some words with some nerds. Well, I- uh, one special nerd in particular, uh, my buddy Craig. We uh, we co-host a podcast called Words with Nerds. Uh, we recently expanded the Star Trek universe, actually, uh, by introducing. I heard that introducing uh, yes. two new holidays that we've discovered: uh, Romulanadon and Klingonza. And we didn't get a chance to talk about Tholianica, but uh, head on over to Words with Nerds, and uh, we'll we'll tell you all about it. You can also find me right here on the Trek FM network during the final season of Commentary Trek Stars with uh, Senor Michael Schindler. Uh, as he continues to school me on how little I actually know about film, uh, but it's it's a wild ride. We're we're wrapping up our series on Simon Pegg as we go through this season talking about all of the creators behind Star Trek Beyond, and of course you can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, um, and uh, you know just having a grand old time. Well, uh, of course you can find me on Twitter. At Matt Rushing zero two, uh, you can also find me on Instagram at M Rushing. You can also find Trek FM there. Uh, you can find me doing the Orb because for Jones talking exclusively about Deep Space Nine, and then I do Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also interview the authors. It's so much fun. In fact, Bruce is our uh, one of our social producers on that show, uh, and you can find me on my own personal blog at forty two. Lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. I got a special article up there right now about uh, anticipating the Force Awakens, so check that out. And those are all the places you can find me. And everyone, I just appreciate you being here with us every week. Uh, it means so much to me. And may the Force be with you.
silver and gold, silver and gold. Knock it off. Sorry, now I'm just thinking of, um, you know, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Stop it. And uh, Burl Ives. Stop it. Hey, that's a fantastic. Stop it. What, you don't like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? No, I love it. I'm just telling you to stop it. Okay. Because I like like pushing you around, Matt. (laughs) Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, Novelization by James Conn. 